On Thursday, President Trump spoke in Poland, where he laid forth his plans for NATO Article 5 common defense. He said that the United States, quote, has demonstrated not merely with words, but with actions, that we stand firmly behind Article 5. Our defense is not just a commitment of money, it is a commitment of will. Trump went on to explain, quote, our own fight for the West does not begin on the battlefield, it begins with our minds, our wills, and our souls. He even warned the Russian government directly, quote, we urge Russia to cease its destabilizing activities in Ukraine and elsewhere. Trump also stated his support for missile defense in Poland against Russia. This should have been a ringing rebuke to the American media, who have declared Trump a Putin shill for nearly a year. Instead, the media decided to focus on the fact that Trump received warm praise from the Polish people. CNN's actual headline, this is the real headline, quote, Trump, showered in Polish praise, backs NATO's Article 5. It's difficult to recall CNN running a similar headline during President Obama's magical mystery European tours. The media also went nuts over Trump ripping CNN while overseas. NBC's Chuck Todd tweeted, quote, a trashing of the American press corps and intel community in Eastern Europe of all places? Could Putin have asked for anything more? Well, yes, Putin could have asked for more. He could have asked for a president who wanted to give him flexibility and withdrew from missile defense in Eastern Europe and handed Syria over to Vladimir Putin. He could have asked for that and actually gotten it. It's not pleasant that President Trump attacks the media while he's overseas. It's unpresidential, but, I mean, this is Donald Trump, so is that any giant shock? But the media's willingness to ignore the real story in Poland, that Trump forcefully chided his supposed conspirators in election hacking, that he's talking about setting up a missile defense system to defend against them, that he went after their aggression in Ukraine and Syria. That's the real story, that he took material steps to check those territorial ambitions. CNN ignores all of that. The media ignore all of that because they are more interested in getting President Trump even over stupid issues. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, so if you don't know anything about wine, we're going to just straight in thank our sponsors over at Wink. If you don't know anything about wine, uh, if you are invited over to somebody's house for dinner and you don't know wine from a bottle of Kedem grape juice, very Jewish reference, then you need to go to Wink.com because Wink.com not only allows you to get an inexpensive, terrific bottle of wine, it also tells you what kind of wine your friends will like and that you will like. You actually go on there, it profiles your taste palette, tells you kind of what wine goes with what food, and they recommend a wine just for you. It's trywink.com, T-R-Y-W-I-N-C.com. You take that brief palette profile quiz, and they recommend a distinct and interesting wine, customized to your palate, shipped directly to you. Right now, Wink is offering listeners 20 bucks off your first order when you go to trywink.com slash Ben. Trywink.com slash Ben. Again, it's W-I-N-C dot com slash Ben. They'll even cover the cost of shipping. Trywink.com slash Ben. You get that complimentary shipping. You get that $20 off your first order. And these bottles are like 10 bucks a piece. So it's a pretty great deal. Uh, Trywink.com and make sure that you never show up at somebody's house with a crappy bottle of wine again. Uh, instead, bring the wine that we'll have them all talking that you will enjoy as well. So even if you don't like their company, you can at least get drunk off the wine and really enjoy it. Trywink.com slash Ben. Uh, go over and check it out for that. You'll also use the slash Ben's that they know that we sent you. Okay, so President Trump is over in Poland, and he's been speaking over in Poland about missile defense and about Russian aggression and about Article 5. So for months we have heard that President Trump was going to withdraw from NATO. Now some of this was Trump's own fault. He kept talking about how NATO was useless and obsolete and how they didn't pay their bills. Well now he finally goes where it is necessary for him to go to talk about NATO, and that is the countries that border the Russia that would like to invade Eastern Europe. So 
He went over to Poland. You recall that when President Obama was president, he helped dismantle a missile defense system in Poland. He took it out of Poland. That would have defended against Russian aggression. Trump goes over there and he says, we are going to help you reinstall that missile defense system against Russia. Then he says, we want Russia to stop its territorial ambitions in Ukraine and in Syria. So in other words, this is not spoken like a guy who spends his days coordinating with Vladimir Putin on just what Vladimir Putin wants. But that is not stopping the media from portraying it that way. See, the media are fully invested at this point. They're delusional. Okay, we have a delusional media and a delusional left. They're fully invested in the idea. Two, twofold idea. Number one, Hillary didn't actually lose. And number two, Trump is going to be impeached at any moment. Right? These two ideas are related, but the idea is that Hillary didn't actually lose because she could never be beaten by a dunderhead like Trump. Therefore, it must have been that Trump was colluding with Russia, and therefore we are going to search for evidence of that collusion even where none exists. So Trump is out there saying all of this anti-Putin stuff. He's out there talking about missile defense in a way that Obama never did. He's never guaranteed flexibility to Putin in return for anything. And yet, and yet, the media is treating this as though Trump actually went there and made a stop to Putin. So Adam Schiff is on CNN. He's on CNN every two minutes, Adam Schiff, because apparently he just lives next to the camera for CNN at the Capitol. He actually sleeps on the floor like he's sleeping out at a Thanksgiving Day sale. Uh, and, he, uh, and then they wake him. They, they wake him up, and Adam Schiff pops up, puts on a little makeup, and goes on TV. Adam Schiff, he says, well, you know, what, what Trump was really doing here is he refused to acknowledge Russian hacking of the election. So it's true. During the press conference, Trump was asked about Russia and their interference in the election. Now, number one, Russia didn't actually hack the election. A CNN reporter named Chris Chaliza was on all over Trump because he said Trump wouldn't acknowledge that Russia hacked the election. Russia didn't hack the election. If anything, Russia worked with WikiLeaks to interfere in the election by getting a bunch of emails from the DNC and then weaponizing them for release during the election cycle, undermining election credibility. But there's no evidence of collusion, so Chaliza is wrong. But Adam Schiff says, because Trump refuses to acknowledge so-called election hacking, he's giving Putin everything he could possibly want. And you heard Chuck Todd say that when Trump attacks the media, this is giving Putin everything that he could possibly want. Well, how about when... Barack Obama routinely attacked Fox News throughout his entire presidency. Was he giving Vladimir Putin everything that he wanted? Is it just possible that Trump may have a legit complaint? And here's the thing for CNN. Every time they attack Trump and suggest that he is in collusion with Russia and giving Putin what he wants, all they're doing is undermining their own credibility and lending credence to everything that Trump says about CNN. Trump so far has done nothing egregious in Poland. In fact, his, his initial speech, which a lot of people were concerned about, was quite good, right? He talked about, we don't have clips of it yet, but he talked about the, the fact that Western civilization had to unite against the Islamic fascist threat. Uh, he talked about how the Russia was providing a threat to Eastern Europe. Uh, he paid homage to the heroes of Poland's past, right? All of this is, is great stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. At the press conference, he ripped on CNN, but at this point, that's rote, okay? If, you, if you're pretending that you're really shocked by Trump's behavior, it's not to say Trump's behavior is grand or glorious in attacking American press outlets while he's on the road, but let's be real about this. It is the new normal, okay? We can pretend all we want that it's not the new normal. It is the new normal. So why don't we focus on the fact that what he's actually there to do, not rip the media, but talk with the Polish, that's actually going quite well. But the media can never acknowledge that because, again, point number one is that they think that he didn't actually win the election. And point number two is they keep hoping for this kill shot. They keep hoping that the time will come when they get this one moment, this one grand moment, where they reveal everything there is to know about Trump, and Trump just collapses. His presidency ends. And they're basing their ratings off of this, okay? This is a ratings game for MSNBC and CNN. Proof is in the pudding, okay? MSNBC last week, there was this spat between Trump, this idiotic spat between Trump and Mika Brzezinski, where he was tweeting out about her bloody facelift and all this stupid nonsense. The day after he tweeted that, Morning Joe's ratings went up 70%. You think that MSNBC and CNN are not invested in the fight with Trump? 
You wonder why they cover every Trump tweet as though it's the end of the world? One, it raises their ratings because Trump is ratings. And two, they are hoping that they're going to stumble upon the thing that finally ends Trump's reign, that Trump will basically oust himself. They won't have to do anything. Trump will just finish Trump. And more importantly, their viewers are hoping that. Their viewers are hoping that they will be watching CNN on the day and time when the world ends, when, when Trump's administration finally collapses. None of that is going to happen. And so the Democrats have built their entire platform now. It's really amazing. The Democrats have built their entire platform around just hoping that Trump clocks himself in the face of the frying pan. They have nothing to present. There is no program. There are no ideas. There is no actual agenda. The only agenda is just insulting Trump and hoping he implodes and saying, we're not that guy. We're not that guy. And then meanwhile, on the other side, the Republicans are sitting around going, well, at least we're not Democrats. So both sides who are becoming each other at, a, at an incredibly rapid pace, right? Obamacare is now being re-enshrined by a Republican Senate. Br Br Donald Trump's White House chief strategist, Steve Bannon, is now talking about raising taxes on the rich. So Republicans who are becoming Democrats and Democrats who are hoping to become Republicans are both pointing at each other and saying, well, at least we're not that guy. This is the new politics in the United States. You wonder why people who like ideas, you know, I like ideas, why I'm frustrated with the political situation. I'm frustrated because neither of these things matters. OK, I am not a Democrat is not a slogan. I am not a Republican is not a slogan. Your idea should be your slogan. What you're going to do should be your slogan. But nobody talks about any of that crap because we are so ensconced in this WWE fight fest where Republicans slap Democrats and Democrats slap Republicans and then they all go out for a beer afterward, right? All these media members go out for a beer with each other, okay? They like each other. This idea that people at Fox News get, don't get along with people on CNN, it may be true for like Sean Hannity, who actually is a true believer, but it's not true for the vast majority of people at Fox News. Those people have friends at CNN. People at MSNBC have friends in the White House. Joe and Mika were friends with Trump until literally five seconds ago, and now they're not. But it's all a game, okay? It's all a big game, and the only losers are the American people who are sit here, sitting here wondering, okay, well, you say you're not a Republican, and you say you're not a Democrat, but how are you different? You look exactly the same to me. Okay, and it's not just me saying this, okay? These are the actual slogans that are now being unleashed. So, yesterday, the Democrats unleashed their new slogan, okay? This is an actual bumper sticker that they are putting out there. Okay, this is their new Democratic slogan. We can, we can show it. Okay, the new Democratic slogan, really, this is a real thing, okay? This is not a parody. It was Democrats 2018. I mean, have you seen the other guys? That's legitimately what it says on their slogan. I mean, have you seen the other guys? That's their slogan, so it's not... Here's what we're going to do. Here's why Republicans are bad. It's just Republicans are a crap show, and at least we're not them. At least we're not them. They don't have any other agenda, right? Their only agenda is we hate Trump and we hate Republicans. And they're making this clearer every day, hoping and praying Republicans destroy themselves, and then they can just point and laugh. So the Democrats continue to push for, for example, a commission on President, on President Trump's fitness. Okay, you're not going to oust President Trump under the 25th Amendment. I know there's this crazy idea floating around there. I know Ross Dudehat from the New York Times had talked about it, that somebody's going to invoke the 25th Amendment and claim that Trump is incapacitated, he's mentally incapable of being president. The Trump who is now the president is exactly the same guy who ran. He's exactly the same guy he has been for all 71 years of his life. Okay, nothing has changed. He is not, he's not senile. He's not had a drop-off in capacity. If you think his capacity is not up to snuff. It wasn't up to snuff a year ago either. And if you think that he was perfectly fine a year ago, he's perfectly fine now. In any case, the Democrats are pushing, really, a commission on presidential fitness. They are trying to claim that Trump is incapable of actually being president. So Katie Turr of NBC, even she was looking at this and going, you guys have to be crazy. This is what you're wasting your time on? 
Oh, well, of course it does, because the body is contemplated by the Constitution in the 25th Amendment. It was adopted 50 years ago. We're in the 50th anniversary of this provision in the Constitution. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, as I said, it's been used multiple times. And so this simply follows through on our constitutional responsibility. I hear in the you, event but, the, but this has so far only been signed on, and correct me if I'm wrong, by Democrats. Democrats correct. don't control Congress. They don't control the Senate. They don't control the House. They don't control the White House. So, yeah. I mean, without any Republican support, do you think that this is uh, a, a good use of time right now? Well, you know, things in Congress uh, do take time uh, to happen, and it's been, you know, 50 years that the 25th Amendment has been in place. But the body itself would be nonpartisan. It would only be activated upon bipartisan, bicameral action by Congress. So there's nothing for anybody to be afraid of uh, except for a presidential incapacity, and that's what the 25th Amendment was all about. It was adopted after the assassination of President Kennedy, and of course, we've had multiple assassination and assassination attempts take place in our history. We've had lots of presidents incapacitated by different kinds of illnesses, physical and mental, and so on. And so we need to be prepared. Okay, so a complete waste of time. But Democrats are relying on this because, again, they're hoping against hope that there will be some do es machina, that something comes down out of the heavens and saves them from their own incompetence. And you can see their incompetence on display. Terry McAuliffe is the, the governor of Virginia. He's somebody who wants to run for president in 2020. And he has asked, okay, so name some Democratic leaders. Like, who are the leaders of your party? And here is his attempt to name Democratic leaders. Secretary of States who said, no dice, you're not getting the data, and you'll never get it. Governor, I never get to talk to you, so you're going to have to forgive me that when I press you on this. Um, you are a savvy guy. You are plugged in. You've been around Democratic politics a long time. You no doubt are having conversations behind the scenes. No doubt those conversations are being had probably every day. Who is the leader of the Democratic Party right now? Uh, I think uh, there are many leaders of the Democratic Party. I will always default. Give me a name, Governor. Give me a name. I'm not going to give you. I'll say the governors who are leading their states, creating jobs, building infrastructure, building an education system that works. We have to balance our budgets. Unlike Washington, they print money. They still can't balance a budget. We create jobs. We build infrastructure. We do education. Governors need to lead the way. And listen, I compliment the folks on Capitol Hill who are doing what they're doing. But, you know, we need some action out of Washington to help us compete on a global basis and Today, we're not seeing anything out of Washington. Governor, it is broken. You are a governor. Are you talking about yourself? Yeah. Oh, no. I'm, I'm as chairman of the National Governors Association. I love all of our governors that we have today. <laughs> okay, so McAuliffe is obviously trying to say that he's the leader, but nobody believes Terry McAuliffe is the leader because Terry McAuliffe doesn't even believe Terry McAuliffe is the leader. I mean, Terry McAuliffe is, is more colorless than a glass of water. I mean, the guy is just he's just dull as, as anything that has ever been put on this earth. There are no leaders of the Democratic Party, and so they are based, they're basically running back to that slogan, at least we're not Republicans. Now, they can do well with that slogan. I'll explain why in a second. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at FrameBridge.com. So FrameBridge.com is where you go when you want to get all of your stuff custom framed. Custom frames cost a fortune. Okay? I have a lot of great art in my house, uh, some of it not so great, um, but all of it is custom framed. It costs a lot of money to frame. Sometimes it costs more for the frame than it does for the art. That's not the case when you go over to framebridge.com. You upload your photo from your computer or directly from your Instagram feed, or if you have the physical item, you can actually ship it to them. They will provide secure prepaid packaging so you can mail it in for free. And then you can preview your photo online in any frame style. You can choose your favorite. You can get free help from your designer. They actually provide you a designer. The expert team at FrameBridge will custom frame your item in days, not weeks or months, and they will deliver the finished piece directly to you 
ready to hang. Right now, if you go to framebridge.com and use my promo code Shapiro, you get 15% off your first order. Framebridge.com, promo code Shapiro. They have a happiness guarantee as well. So if you aren't 100% satisfied with your order, they will make it right. Again, it's framebridge.com and use that promo code Shapiro. You save an additional 15% off your first order. Framebridge.com. Promo code Shapiro. It is more inexpensive than going to a local shop. It is better because you actually get to preview all of this stuff, and they will make it right if you don't like it. So, again, there's nothing to lose. Framebridge.com. Promo code Shapiro. Get 15% off. Also, use the promo code Shapiro so that they know that we sent you. Okay, so... I do want to explain why, uh, why Democrats can win based on this. And, and the reason that Democrats can win based on the we're not Republicans is if Republicans suck. Okay, that's how you win, right? So Republicans were able to win based on that because they would say, at least we're not Obama, at least we're not Democrats. And then people said, well, that's true. I guess you have a point. I mean, this was basically Donald Trump's slogan, at least I'm not Hillary. He said it during the campaign many times that you have no choice but to vote for me. At least I'm not Hillary Clinton. People went, woo! Yeah, up for it. All right. Everything's good. Choo-choo. Get on the train. That, that, that was sort of Trump's slogan. So it's not that it doesn't work, but it requires the other party to suck a lot. Fortunately for the Democrats, the Republicans do. They suck a lot. So we're going to talk about how much the Republicans suck and why they have nothing and why that matters more than the Democrats having nothing in just a second. For that, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com. So first of all, before I say this, I just want to thank the folks over at The Blaze for providing us this space today. I want to thank Glenn and Glenn Beck, uh, who had me on a show earlier, and uh, Jonathan Schreiber who's a CEO over here. Uh, I want to thank uh, all the people at The Blaze for providing us the space because it really is magnificent. No, we didn't actually just... Uh, we, we said we're going to have a new studio, but our new studios did not involve us involved in an armed takeover of the blaze. Uh, They're just lending us the space because they're kind and generous people. So thanks for that. Uh, Anyway, if you want to, go over and subscribe so you can see the rest of the show live from these beautiful new studios that we just hijacked and will refuse to leave. Uh, Then you have to go over to dailywire.com. $8 a month gets you a subscription. Uh, and uh, that means you get the show, uh, you get the, the show live, you get the mailbag, which we'll be doing tomorrow, live, you get Drew's show, Andrew Clavin's show, which you should totally listen to, you can get that live, you can, uh, you can get uh, his, uh, his mailbag as well, uh, and then you can also get the website experience ad-free, which is pretty cool. If you get the annual subscription right now for a limited time only, you still get the, uh, the free signed copy of the book that I wrote with my father about baseball, Say It So, uh, really fun book, you get that free and signed when you get an annual subscription. Also, July 10th, I mean, the clock is running down. July 10th, the, uh, the rates go up. So you want to make sure that you lock in that lower rate right now over at dailywire.com when you become a subscriber. So go over and check it out. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. So Democrats can win based on Republican sucking. They can win based on Trump's awful, Democrats are not Republicans, and thus you must vote for us. But the Republicans really have to suck a lot. Now, I don't think it's going to be about Trump. I think it's going to be about the entire Republican Party being bad. Like, if Trump were great at this, it would help, but he doesn't have to be great at this in order to avoid catastrophic losses. Right? All he has to do is be mediocre at this, and the Republican Congress has to basically do its job. Fortunately for Democrats, Republicans have no agenda either. So, as I showed you, you know, let's show again that Democratic slogan if we can. That, there's that Democratic slogan that they released yesterday. I just want to show you how empty our politics are right now. That Democratic slogan, Democrats 2018, I mean, have you seen the other guys? Okay, yesterday, the GOP tweets this out. Okay, there's a tweet that the GOP tweets out. And it is a video of Hillary Clinton talking about how Obamacare is broken. And it says, we've got to fix what's broken, right? Hillary says, we've got to fix what's broken. And they say, where's your plan, Hillary Clinton? 
Okay, that wasn't their only tweet along these lines. They also tweeted out a, a video of Bernie Sanders talking about how the ACA, Obamacare, isn't effective. And it says, our health care system is collapsing, but Democrats refuse to bring anything to the table. Where is their plan? Okay, note to Republicans, a couple of things. So you got the Democrats, first of all, saying, at least we're not Republicans. And the Republicans saying, well, where's your plan, right? I'm rubbering your glue. Whatever you throw at me bounces off me and sticks back to you. Where's your plan? Okay, this doesn't work for a couple of reasons. Number one, Democrats are a minority in the House, the Senate, and they don't occupy the White House. It is the Republicans' job to govern with a majority. You don't get to do the obstructionist Congress routine when you control the Congress, you idiots. So this whole, where's your plan? At least we're not the Democrats. At least we're not the Democrats would even be a better slogan, okay? What's their plan is just stupid. It's stupid because you're the one with the plan. You're the one with the power. You need to provide the plan. You need to provide the legislation. This is your job now. Okay, so that's stupidity number one. Number two, when the Democrats say, at least we're not Republicans, that is a character assault, right? The character assault is Republicans are mean, racist, devils, horrible people, alt-right schmucks, right? This is the, the Democrats' shtick, is that de Republicans are horrible people. Republicans don't respond with Democrats are horrible people. This is actually something that Trump was good at during the campaign. He made the character argument, right? He kept saying Democrats are bad. Democrats are, are Black Lives Matter is violent. Democrats are bad. They're fascists, right? Democra he, he made the character argument that you need to make if you're going to make an, an effective political argument to neuter a character argument. Democrats are saying... You guys are bad people. And Republicans are saying, well, what's your plan? What's your plan is not a proper response to Republicans are bad people. Right? They don't match up. If you say about somebody, if, if you're in a social situation and somebody says to you, you know what, you're a real jerk. And you say, yeah, well, you don't have a plan for driving home tonight. What? Like, that doesn't, that doesn't match up. Like, whoever watches that conflict is going to assume that you're a jerk and the other guy doesn't have a plan for driving home, but they're probably going to think you're a jerk, which is more important than not having a plan. So Republicans have nothing. They have nothing. And so their response to the Democrats isn't, you know, here's all of our legislation we've passed that's made people's lives better. Here's our president who's out there making people's lives better every day. Instead, it's, well, at least we're not you because you don't have a plan, guys. Ooh. This is how you lose a midterm election. Okay, Jason Chaffetz, who's stepping down, he's the head of the House Government Oversight Committee, uh, and he is, he's leaving Congress. Uh, he's asked about Obamacare repeal, which, again, amidst all of the hoopla about the WWE wrestle match between Trump and CNN, it seems to have been lost that they are attempting to repeal Obamacare and failing dramatically in the Senate right now. Jason Chaffetz says, yeah, we talked about repealing Obamacare for, like, ever, and, um, uh, yeah, it's not, not no. We were told repeatedly by leadership that, hey, get ready in January, it's going to be there and we're going to be able to look at it. And we've been talking about this for seven years. And here we are at turning the corner into July and you still can't point to a single thing that will unite us. Nope. And, and he's not the only one saying this. It's so funny. Pat Toomey, uh, who I like, he's, uh, I met him, Senator Toomey from Pennsylvania, uh, seems like a nice guy, an honest guy. He's asked about Obamacare, and he basically says, yeah, we don't really have a plan because we didn't think Trump was going to win or anything. Like, we never thought we were going to actually have the power to do this, so we were kind of bullcrapping, and now we're supposed to do stuff, and we don't really have a thing to do and stuff. Here's Pat Toomey. For years, Republican lawmakers have been complaining about Obamacare, and then the ball was thrown to yeah, them, and they yeah. didn't seem to know what to do with it. Yeah, look, I think that's a valid criticism, and I think part of the reason... You've seen how difficult it is to get a Republican consensus um, until the election last fall, which surprised me. I, let me just be very clear. I didn't expect Donald Trump to win. I, I think most of my colleagues didn't. 
So we didn't expect to be in this situation, and given how difficult it is to get to a consensus, it was hard to force that until there was a need to. Okay, so in other words, we never thought we would have power. We were just saying things, right? Why is everyone taking this so seriously? We were just saying things. I can't imagine why the Republican Party is having some problems. I cannot imagine. It just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Okay, and, and so what are Republicans falling back on? Republicans are falling back on the same reactionary tribalism that the Democrats have fallen back on, which is at least we're not Democrats, which means they're embracing bad policy just because it slaps Democrats. Here's a perfect example. So. Yesterday, there was an announcement, Steve Bannon, White House chief strategist, he's pushing, the White House acknowledges that he's pushing a tax hike for the wealthiest Americans. So this is pandering to the populist base. The idea is these rich, plutocratic, wealthy people, you know, the ones who hire you, those people need to pay higher taxes because they're rich, and rich people are evil. Now, this is something conservatives have been very much against for my entire life, okay? I've been spending my entire life in the conservative movement since I was 17 years old. I've been working in this movement, uh, and which is literally half my life at this point, and never has it been a Republican priority to raise taxes on job creators. The idea here was if you remove incentive for people to create jobs and create additional wealth, and they just won't do it, right? That's the whole reason why tax hikes for anyone. It's true, poor, rich, doesn't matter. You increase people's taxes, you're removing incentive from them to work and create jobs. Just a fact, right? I mean, this is the, this is the famed Laffer curve, the idea that if you make taxes 100%, then people will just stop working because why would they work so that the government can take all their stuff? So when you raise taxes, you are incrementally decreasing the amount of productivity associated with it. Anyway, Steve Bannon, who is attempting to craft what he considers to be a Jacksonian coalition, right? meaning that it's a bunch of people who are poor and want rich people's money, uh, you know, it's sort of a Bernie Sanders, half Bernie Sanders, half right-wing coalition, people who want strong national defense but big spending on social services and big spending on infrastructure and tariffs, and they want a tax increase on the wealthiest Americans to pay for, uh, pay for it all, but they also are not huge fans of the aggressive LGBT agenda in churches, right? It's this sort of weird coalition. That's what Bannon is pushing for and has been since the inauguration. He acknowledges that they're pushing for a tax increase. He says he wants the tax, top tax bracket to be over 40%. For people like me living in California, that means that you're paying over 50% of your income in taxes every year, which is just wonderful. Well, today, on Outnumbered, this is a perfect example of how the Republicans are embracing this reactionary tribalism just because it slaps the left. Melissa Francis says this is genius. Why is this genius? Well, because most of the rich people in the country are Democrats. Right? Disproportionately, people who are wealthy vote Democrat. So here's what she had to say. Steve Bannon stirring the pot, touting a tax hike on America's richest, a move that might not go over so well with the Republican base. A member of the Trump administration telling Fox News that Bannon wants the top tax bracket to have a, quote, four in front of it to help the middle class. The top bracket currently stands at 39.6 percent. And though conservatives might not like the sound of that, it could play to the same populist appeal that helped get President Trump elected in the first place. Melissa Francis, mm -hmm. I'm a little mm -hmm. dumbfounded. No, I, I mean, you, you need to look be, beneath this. This is Explain very clever. It, Melissa. I, I will. <laughs> um, because the wealthiest in our society and the most powerful have become Democrats. I mean, if you look around at the CEOs on Wall Street, that the country has very has flipped. I mean, the richest people are liberals, and then you have people at the bottom of the spectrum who are dependent on the government, who vote Democratic. The middle, the working people, are all Republicans. I think this is a very clever probably negotiating ploy, probably stick it to you from the administration saying, guess what? 
we're going to raise taxes on the riches because we it's they always say that Republicans are trying to give tax breaks to the fat cats, to their friends or whatever. The fat cats aren't the friends of the Republicans any longer. They're all voting Democrat. They all gave to Hillary Clinton. Okay, so, stick- so this is this is the so this is when I say that, that the Republican Party has become a series of reactionary tribal reactions to the left. This is what I mean. Okay, you're not going to win by adopting Democratic policy and saying, well, at least it hurts Democrats. That's not how you win, and that's not also that's also not how you remain conservative. And this is why, if you wonder why people are frustrated with politics, there is a legitimate frustration with politics when you believe that both parties don't care about policy or helping you or any of that stuff. They just are pointing at each other. There are these famous logic problems called might and knave problems where where you're walking down the road and there are two people standing in the road and one of them says, I am a knave, right? Knave is a liar. I am a liar. Uh, And the other guy says, I am a knight. Do you know which one of them is a knight and which one of them is a knave? Because the liar can't actually say that he's a liar, otherwise that makes him a knight. And the knight could theoretically be the liar saying that he's the knight. So which one is which? That's what you get with these parties now. You have the Republicans saying we're not the Democrats, but we'll embrace Obamacare and higher taxes for the rich. And you have the Democrats saying we're not Republicans. We're not Republicans, but we have no policy at all other than to yell at Republicans. Okay, and then you wonder why the politics is going down the drain. Never have so many people felt so passionately about so little. That's basically what's happening right now, and all just so that people can make votes, all so that people can make money. Really, really distasteful. Okay, time for some stuff I like and some stuff that I hate. But before that, I first want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Upside.com. So I've been telling you that when you travel, particularly by yourself, business travel, uh, then Upside.com is the place to go. The reason is because they bundle your flight and your hotel. They give you all sorts of options. When you go to their site, they can recommend a different hotel, recommend a different airport, what time you're flying in get you the best deal on your flight and hotel combined at Upside.com. But then what's even better is that you get a gift card from Upside.com for Amazon.com for 100 bucks or 200 bucks. So you save your company a bunch of money, but then you're the one who ends up with the gift card. So it's super fast searches, less than two minutes. They can give you awesome choices on United and American for flights to various cities that work for you, big name hotels. They show you options, as I say. Right now, Upside.com, if you go there and you use promo code BEN, you are guaranteed to get at least $100 Amazon gift card for your first trip. So again, you save your company money and you get the $100 Amazon gift card, which is awesome. Promo code BEN to get that $100 gift card free. Save big on travel. Get that big gift card every single trip. See what your next trip is worth today over at Upside.com. Inexpensive travel, best hotels, best flights, and you get the the Amazon kickback as well. Minimum purchase requires C-Site for complete details. Again, Upside.com and use that promo code BEN uh, and uh, do that also so that they know that we sent you. Okay, time for some stuff I like and then some stuff that I hate. So, things I like. Uh, I am lukewarm on uh, on this series. Uh, Andrew Clavin is a big fan of this series. We talked about it this morning. I've watched the first two episodes. I cannot vouch for the entirety of the series being good. I will say the acting on the series is tremendous. Uh, Netflix has come up with a lot of original series that are really entertaining. Uh, this one is called Bloodline. Uh, it stars the, the coach from Friday Night Lights. No one knows his actual name. That's just who he is. He's the coach from Friday Night Lights. Uh, Kyle Chandler, that's right. That's his name. Uh, naturally, Mathis knows his name. Of course, Mathis knows his name. In any case, Bloodline... Uh, and uh, Ben, uh, 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 I'm, I'm going to screw up everybody's name. And Ben, uh, what's his face? Um, Mendelssohn. Thank you, Mathis. It really saving me here. Uh, and uh, and the, the show itself is, uh, it's a little bit slow. Uh, it's very atmospheric. Uh, it's, it's, it all takes place down the Florida Keys. So if you like watching that kind of scenery, it's, it's nice that way. Um, it's really well written and it's really well acted. Uh, so here's the preview for Bloodline. Here's what that looks like. 
I always thought the greatest thing that happened to me was being born a Rayburn. Forty-five years ago this weekend, me and my Sally opened the doors to this place. Sometimes you know something's coming. I'd like to say a few words about my kids. You feel it in the air. There's Meg, my sunshine. You don't sleep at night. There's Kevin, my youngest son. A voice in your head's telling you that something is going to go terribly wrong. And of course, there's John, who decided to take care of the whole damn island. There's nothing you can do to stop it. Last but not least is my oldest, Danny. That's how I felt when my brother came home. Okay, so the, the show is, is good. It is a little bit slow, um, but it builds. So you can check that out. Uh, Bloodline, good series. Okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. So, things that I hate. Spike Lee, who has not been relevant for a solid three decades, uh, has now directed an anti-Trump video. Because if you're in Hollywood and you haven't done anything useful for, you know, my entire lifespan, then you need to uh, then you need to make yourself relevant again. And the way to make yourself relevant is to make fun of President Trump, because that's not the most obvious target in all of human history. So, Spike Lee has now cut an anti-Trump music video. Uh, it is it is called a clown with the nuclear code. I don't understand. I, I will first of all say I just do not fundamentally understand what is the charm of misspelling things purposefully. Does anyone know this? It's like clown K L O W N with the nuclear code. Would this have been markedly worse video if it were called clown with the nuclear code? Like, is it some sort of concession to the English language to spell things correctly? In any case, here is a little bit of a clown with the nuclear code. Spike Lee made this music video with some guy named Stu. I don't know if that was his, if his name is like Stuart or if he just likes Stu. I, I don't know. In any case, here is the protest song. It says November 8th, in the year of our Lord, something Trump seizes the White House. A clown had a go at a reality show, which 24-7 played. He screamed a battle cry to the living dead. Who danced while the Muslims prayed And then the news clan landed its leading man And now we're living in the film they made Where Bozo saddles John Wayne's private plane And into high noon cell hate flowed Stephen King couldn't conceive it And your baby can't believe it That a clown got the nuclear code Okay, so a couple of things about this. Number one, uh, I don't know why it took Spike Lee to direct this video. I could have directed this video because it is legitimately just something you could have made on Windows Movie Maker four years ago with a series of photos. It's a bunch of still photos. Like, if you can't see the video, it's a bunch of still photos of, like, the front page of the New York Daily News. Like, somebody just went to Google Images and found a bunch of crap and put it together. And then, so Lee says, the song is in the American tradition of protest songs. The lyrics are self-explanatory. There's a reason the words appear on the picture. The, the lyrics are all about, if you couldn't hear it, about how this crazy reality TV star took over and now he's the clown with the nuclear code and the clan is coming back, not the clan, the clan. He says, there's a reason the words appear on the picture. There's no album attached to the song. It's one and done. 
and hopefully not the end of the world as we know it. I guess that Stu's real name is Mark Stewart, so that's where we get it. Uh, and uh, he wrote a musical called Passing Strange, which is a musical about a young African-American self-discovery as he traveled through Europe, which just sounds like a real picker-upper. Uh, in any case, it, it just demonstrates how political commentary is now substitute for art on the left. You don't actually have to be good at anything. All you have to do is throw out a reference to Trump, and everybody just nods along. You wonder why Kathy Griffin held up that bloody head of Trump, because she didn't think it was controversial, and she also thought it made her relevant. She didn't have to be funny. She didn't have to be creative. All you have to do, it, it's sort of like bad comedians are people who over-rely on the use of the F word. Right? Bad comedians don't actually have jokes. They don't actually have clever ideas. They over-rely on the use of the F word. A bad comedian is somebody who talks about sex and uses the F word a lot of the time because sex is inherently funny and so you don't really have to do anything clever in order to make it funny and the F word is funny because it's shocking but it's not actually good comedy. Okay, the same thing now applies in Hollywood. You don't have to be good at your job, make an entertaining film, do anything of use. All you have to do is shout Trump and everybody goes, yes, so brave, just so brave. And they all did this during the Bush era as well. It's a rare day when I'm praising Lindsay Lohan, but Lindsay Lohan basically tweeted out yesterday, people should give Trump a chance. Now, listen, I understand Lindsay Lohan is super cray, but she's less crazy than Spike Lee. And again, I'm just wondering, like, it's so funny, Spike Lee attaches his name to this. I don't know if he, he's, he's now sort of reversing his, his skill set because it's just, there's not even a music video there, but... Again, politics is now a substitute for art on the, on the Hollywood left. Okay, other things that I hate. So uh, speaking of the Hollywood left, Andrew Garfield uh, was, did an interview where he said that he was a gay man right now just without the physical act. Um, and um, the reason that he said this is because he said that he is uh, doing some sort of uh, role. I guess he's playing uh, in Tony Kushner's Angels in America, literally the most overrated play in the history of mankind. I mean, the most overrated play ever. It's, it's, it's the worst time that anyone's had at a theater since Lincoln. I mean, it's just awful, Angels in America. And he's playing a guy named Pryor Walter, a gay man battling the reality of AIDS in the London revival of the worst play in the history of the United States, Angels in America. When asked what resources he had for research, Garfield said, quote, As far as I know, I am not a gay man. Maybe I'll have an awakening later in my life, which I'm sure will be wonderful, and I'll get to explore that part of the garden. Mm -hmm. uh, but right now, I'm secluded to my area, which is wonderful as well. I adore it, but a big concern w was, what right do I have to play this wonderful gay role? Okay, the left is so intensely stupid. They are so stupid. So first of all, the idea that you have to be gay in order to play a gay role, false. Okay, you don't have to be straight in order to play a straight role. There are certain big-name Hollywood actors who have been doing it for years. Okay, <laughs> you don't actually have to be. This is why it's called acting, right, as John Lovett might say. John Lovett's. Right? Is it acting. So the, this idea that he has to be like quasi-gay in order to convincingly play a gay person on stage is stupid. That's why they act. There's a famous story about Laurence Olivier and Dustin Hoffman when they were in, um, when they were in um, the... Uh, uh, what, what, I'm, I'm so forgetful today. It's the, the, the movie with the Nazi dentist, uh, Marathon Man. When they're in Marathon Man, uh, so Dustin Hoffman was a method actor. And that means that he would take on all of the trappings and attributes of the character. So he would run marathons, and he would stay up all night. So before the scene where he is tortured by Laurence Olivier playing the Nazi doctor, he stayed up all night, and he ate terribly so that he was all sweaty and gross because he really wanted to get into the part. And Laurence Olivier looked at him, took one look at him up and down, and said, it's called acting, my dear boy. And that's... That's right. So Garfield is pretending like he has to be gay in order to play a gay role. And then he has to give the sop to the gay community while secretly, wink, wink, I might be gay. You know, I love gay people so much, I might be one of you later. Now, 
It seems to me that Andrew Garfield's statements with regards to homosexuality are somewhat contradictory to the general idea from the left regarding homosexuality, which is that it's not malleable, that you can't change your sexual orientation or behavior, right? He says, as far as I know, I'm not gay, but maybe I'll have an awakening later in my life. I'm, I'm always confused by this notion of like a, a sexual awakening later in your life. Like you just wake up when you're 55 one day and you decide you're gay. Like it, just, it didn't hit you until now. You woke up and the gay hammer fell on you and now Andrew Garfield likes dudes. But he has to say that. It's this funny trap the left has placed these actors in because they say, if you're not sufficiently gay, you can't play this role. And they say, okay, well, maybe I'll be gay one day. And then it's like, okay, but I thought that this is not changing. I thought it is genetic. I thought that nothing, that it is an inborn attribute like race. That's, that was my impression. But as long as he's saying things that make it sound like maybe Spider-Man is going to kiss a dude or something, then everything is, everything is fine. He says that a lot of his prep for the role came from his friends devoted to the LGBTQ community. He said RuPaul's Drag Race helped him with his character, which is not condescending to the gay community at all, by the way, is that, is that you, you're, you're getting all of your tips on being gay from RuPaul. That's not uh, the left. Okay. So having spoken about the stupidity of the left, I now want to talk something about July 4th. So it's a Thursday. So on Thursdays, we've been doing the big idea. This is just an idea that I want to talk about that does not necessarily have any context in the news, but is something that you should know about. So what was the American Revolution fought over? What was the general principle of the American Revolution? If we look back now at the American Revolution, we say, well, you know, the taxes were bad, but they weren't that bad. They had the protection of the greatest empire in the history of the world. Now, what exactly were they so fussy about? What were they so upset about? Well, what they were upset about was the concept of sovereignty. And this is a concept that has bled down to today and has serious ramifications for much of American history, plus what we do today with regard to government. Sovereignty is not a term that we talk about a lot, but it was conflicting notions of sovereignty that drove the American Revolution. So the Brits believed that sovereignty resided in Parliament. Sovereignty meaning legitimacy. Sovereignty meaning the ability to make law. They believed that it resided in Parliament. That, in turn, had been a shift from the 16th century in Britain and before, where sovereignty resided in the king, right? God appointed the king, and then the king had all the sovereignty to make law and govern over people, and that sovereignty could not be removed from him, right? This was the argument all the way up to the Revolution of 1640 and then the Glorious Revolution of 1688. Then there was a shift in Britain, and sovereignty now resided in Parliament. Parliament was the source of rights, and it could take those rights away. What the American Revolution did that was completely different is it said those rights are not, to, the, the king doesn't have the right to govern you. Parliament doesn't have the right to govern you. You have the right to govern yourselves via Parliament, which is a very different argument. And so the British had been saying they had the right to legislate for the colonies in all causes whatsoever under the Declaratory Act of 1766. And the American colonists were saying, well, yes, sovereignty does reside in Parliament, but not with regard to internal matters affecting the United States. And then later they shifted that and they said, sovereignty doesn't reside in Parliament at all with regard to us because no taxation without representation. Sovereignty resides in the people at large, right? Sovereignty resides in us, which is why the Constitution doesn't start we the states. It starts with we the people. Popular sovereignty, it resides in the people and the government is an instrument of our will, not the other way around. And that also meant that if a government violated our rights, if it violated the popular sovereignty, we had a right to remove the government. The British feared the United States having parliamentary representation because they were afraid that if there were too many Americans that we would eventually end up ruling the British Empire basically just by voting, right? There'd be more Americans, there'd be more British people in America than in Britain, and therefore they could just basically vote out whatever government they wanted in Britain. They were afraid of that, and so they insisted on this parliamentary sovereignty without Americans having a vote. And we said, no, if you're going to represent us, we actually have to have a vote. And Britain wouldn't allow that, and that's why there was a revolution. Now, the problem with the popular sovereignty argument is twofold. One, 
it legitimizes, it can be used to, it doesn't automatically, but it can be used to legitimize violations of rights. So in the 1850s, the case for slavery expanding into the Western territories as pushed by Stephen Douglas, who you'll remember if you learn your history from the Lincoln-Douglas debate, Stephen Douglas was the actual senator who won the Senate seat that Lincoln was running for, right? Stephen, Stephen A. Douglas, who ended up running for president himself, he was a fan of the popular sovereignty theory of the expansion of slavery. What he said is there's a territory out west, and the people out west want to vote to legitimize slavery. That would make it legitimate. That would make it legitimate because popular sovereignty, right? The, the legitimacy resides in the people, and the people can vote for slavery. Now, what he was neglecting is the Lincoln idea of popular sovereignty, okay, which is more like the founding idea, which is that popular sovereignty resides in the people, but only to the extent they are not violating God-given rights of others. So you can't vote. Even the, even the people don't have the right to violate the rights of others. And this is a debate that you see bleeding all the way down to today. Because the left seems to suggest that if the people vote for something, that makes it okay. That makes it legitimate. It does not make it okay and legitimate. You do not have the right, via popular sovereignty, to override rights that popular sovereignty was designed in order to protect. Right? The idea of popular sovereignty is that you are the best protector of your own rights, so you should be given the, the, the ability to, to govern the government that governs you. But if the population decides to overthrow the rights of others, popular sovereignty no longer applies. Because the left doesn't get that, this is why you will see them refer to America as a democracy and not a republic, because they will suggest that basically whatever the people vote for should be good to go. Anything people vote for should be just fine, and that's not a problem at all because popular sovereignty. So they've taken the issue too far, right? They took it the same direction as the French Revolution, and that often ends in tyranny. It just ends in tyranny of the majority. Uh, so the founders opposed that as well, which is why they bothered setting up these checks and balances. They believed in popular sovereignty, but be they believed in a popular sovereignty that was checked by all of the various ambitions of the players so that we could avoid the degradation of popular sovereignty into tyranny itself. Okay, we will be back here tomorrow, and we'll be doing the mailbag back from our studios in Los Angeles. We'll be leaving behind this glorious The Blaze Studios, which will make us very sad. We have to give up our armed insurrection to take over their, their place of work. Um, but uh, we thank them again for their help, and uh, we will see you tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.